Is Chris Bryant for real? We'll ask Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March 24th. It's show number 11 of the 2015 fantasy baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have a special edition of Baseball HQ Radio today, a full feature interview with Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst, Rob will tell us about Chris Bryant and other prospects in spring training, what he watches for in the minors once the season starts, he'll have some sleepers and weepers for drafts, and much more. And of course, Rob usually does the minor league minute, but he's taking the week off from that this Tuesday so he can devote all his attention to this feature interview here at Baseball HQ Radio. So hey, what do you say? Is Chris Bryant for real? We gotta talk some baseball. And on this special Tuesday edition, it's our feature expert interview with BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon. Rob, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, of course, you're here uh, every week with the Minor League Minute, but we do like to catch up with you before the end of spring training. A lot of drafts will be taking place this coming weekend. Uh, we had a lot of drafts, of course, the just immediate preceding weekend, including Tout Wars, and a few prospects got picked in the Tout Wars battle. But uh, first of all, before we get to the prospects, how many leagues are you playing in this year and what formats? Uh, so I'm playing in three leagues this year, um, one NL only, one AL only, and a, and a mixed 15-team dynasty league. Um, the AL only is just sort of a standard 12-team, uh, 5x5 format. Uh, the, fifth, the dynasty league's a 15-team. Um, it's kind of a, an expert, it's a mix of experts and um, some other, but, you know, some fantasy writers and minor league analysts. And then the NL only league is my home league, and I've been, uh, the league's been around since, um, I think, for 31 years wow. now. And I've been in that league since 1998. And it's kind of an interesting um, format. It's basically we use a runs created to uh, for the hitters and a runs allowed, which is ERA and errors, for um, for pitchers to come up with a winning percentage. So it's, it's really competitive and it's a really interesting format. It's, uh, it's pretty neat to play alternative formats because uh, so much of what you can get on the internet by way of advice and, and the uh, tips and stuff like that don't apply in a lot of formats because they don't have the same categories and so forth. So it really makes you think for yourself. Yeah. No, and it's great. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like doing it. It's, um, you know, it, it really tries to mirror, you know, a, a, you know, if you had a whole team, what would their runs created be as opposed to, um, you know, some categories like, you know, um, saves or something like that, that aren't exactly precise, um, categories to figure out. And also a lot of people argue not exactly measures of skill either. I mean, there's a lot of guys who've got a lot of saves over the years or stolen bases and very little else. And in fact, might find it difficult to maintain a spot in a major league team year in and year out, unlike guys who are good at runs created. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We've been watching spring training, of course, and probably the biggest story in it has been the uh, really fantastic performance of Chris Bryant in Chicago. Uh, Of course, a very top-level prospect. We knew that going in, but have you been surprised by how well he's done so far this spring? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I was 
I was, you know, fairly impressed by what he did last year. I mean, he hit 40, you know, 40 plus home runs and was the minor league player of the year and, you know, in, in his first year. So uh, I think, you know, we had him ranked as the number one prospect and all that. So it's not totally shocking, but I think the ease with which he's doing it and, and against the level of competition, you know, the fact that he hit a home run off Felix Hernandez the other day, you know, we're not talking about some number 98 that we don't even know who the guy is. I mean, he's hit some home runs off some major league starters and, and just the way he approaches his at-bats, I mean, he's really worked hard, I think, to shorten up his stroke. He's not swinging, you know, unlike Javier Baez, also from the Cubs, where he's swinging for the fences every time. He really has a nice controlled swing. He's making really good contact. And the ball just seems to be jumping off his bat. So I I think, you know, sometimes things like that do change. I mean, there's, there's definitely something – spring training stats are notoriously iffy, you know, and I think you can really get into trouble trying to read too much into them. But when you watch somebody like Chris Bryant play, and he does it with such ease, that's something that, and so consistently, that's something I think really changes the dynamic for for what you're thinking about with him. Now, ha- having said that, you mentioned that he has hit some of his home runs this spring off Major League pitchers. You mentioned in particular Felix Hernandez. That always gets everybody excited. But isn't it also true that a lot of these Major League pitchers, when they get into these games, are not really trying especially hard to get guys out as much as they are trying to maybe refine a third pitch or get the get the command back on something that they were having a little trouble with? Those kind of things that maybe color the possibility that you know, he, that he beat uh, Felix Hernandez at Felix Hernandez's best. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's why I think, you know, you, even, even in with Chris Bryant, I think you still have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, um, I think the thing and absolutely, I mean, you know, who knows Felix Hernandez could be just trying to get his work in and was working on his change up or, you know, I don't know what kind of pitch he hit off of Hernandez or what the location was or, or anything, you know, or if Hernandez was really trying to get him out with his, with his best stuff. Um, I don't, it's too hard to sort of decipher that stuff at this point. So I think you do have to kind of take that with a grain of salt a little bit. But the consistency that he's been doing this with, you know, just like Jock Peterson of the Dodgers, I mean, I, I do think that that's a, a very positive sign. I don't think you can read too much into it, but I think it's a positive sign. That he's been doing it week in and week out, and as you said, he has a pretty good approach at the plate. He is not a huge swing and miss guy in the minor leagues over two minor league seasons, about 200 strikeouts to 100 walks. I mean, of course, you'd like to see it be a little higher, but that's not bad for a guy who hits the ball as hard as he does. But Rob, the the second question about his chances of, of breaking camp with the Cubs at the major league level is... There are contractual issues here as well, having to do with uh, when he when he's uh, sort of pushed back a year as far as his eligibility for arbitration and for free agency down the road. And um, is it likely that the Cubs are going to play that game with Chris Bryant, even though um, they claim to be in the hunt for a playoff spot this year? And certainly he couldn't hurt them. Yeah, no, I, I think certainly I think the arbitration, I don't think they're going to wait for, you know, the June arbitration to you know deadline i just think that's going to be i just don't think they can survive with mike olt or whoever else they have playing third base until then i just i think they if they really want to compete which they say they do i think they need his bat in their lineup at least you know give him a chance to see if he can't be um provide that power that they really haven't had from the third base position in a long time um i think they'll probably send him down i mean my guess is they'll probably send him down to save to save the year on free agency at the end. So we're talking 2020, which you know, seems, seems way down the road. But, you know, financially that, that if you send them down for a couple of weeks and then you can bring them back up and save the year on free agency, 
I, I think they'll, I think they'll, they're likely to do that no matter what he does this spring. But the arbitration stuff, I don't think they're going to wait until June. I just don't think they can, can, it doesn't seem feasible to me. And before we wrap up on Chris Bryant, uh, uh, one of the things that can keep a guy out of the lineup or cost him his spot in the lineup, despite as bad as if he's horrible with the glove, how is Chris Bryant le- with, uh, leather-wise? Oh, he's pretty good defensively. I mean, he's not he's not going to be you know a gold glover, I don't think, but he moves pretty well for his size. He's a big guy. Um, I mean, certainly he's he's as good, if not better, than any of their other options there. So you know, whether they put Tommy Listella or Mike Olt. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be a significant, he's not as bad as say Miguel Cabrera was playing third base. Um, he's got some range. He's got a pretty decent arm and got good hands. Um, but he's not going to win a gold glove or anything. Well, then again, there's been some fairly suspicious gold gloves handed out. So you never know. Uh, Oftentimes it seems to be based on how a guy hits rather than how he fields. Uh, right. uh so we've talked about Chris Bryant. Uh, there was a number of, uh, players coming into camp that we were very curious about whether they were going to hold on to their jobs or perhaps uh, surprise everybody and, and make a run at a job when we didn't think it was possible. So who are some of the prospects that you've noticed uh, perhaps winning or losing those position battles this spring? Yeah, I mean, the, the guy, you know, I think other than Chris Bryant that has garnered the most attention has been Jock Peterson of the Dodgers, and he certainly has done nothing to to hurt his chances of winning the center field job there, um, you know, after they traded traded Kemp. Um, it kind of opened up position for Peterson. You know, I think there was some speculation that Andy Van Slyke or Scott, sorry, Scott Van Slyke would, would move into that position, but I think Peterson's really shown um, a good approach at the plate. You know, he's not, a, he's not a real big guy, but the ball just seems to jump off his bat. He's hitting over 400, playing solid defense. He can be a little bit aggressive, too aggressive at times in the outfield. I think he's still got to learn center field a little bit, but he really has a nice power and speed package and an on base, you know, a good on base percentage. And I think for fantasy owners, I think he's a tremendous player to target. I mean, you always have to be cautious with rookies and not overpay for them. But if somehow you already own him or could pick him up in a trade without having to, you know, give away the farm to do so, I think he's, he's definitely proven that he's ready for a chance um, to start the season there. Um, another guy who's, you know, another center fielder who's, who's done well is the, is the Toronto center fielder, Dalton Pompey. Really had a strong spring. Looks to be a lock to have the starting center field job in Toronto. He, you know, he had three, he had a three different levels last year. He had over 300 with, with 10 home runs. I don't think he's going to have a lot of power in the majors, at least not right away, but he did steal 44 bases last year. So if you're looking for a speedy center fielder with some ability to hit for average, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. With a guy like Pompey, the fact that he's from Toronto and uh, maybe have some uh, tangential marketing value, uh, does that, do you think, color Toronto's opinion about whether they want to start him and where in the big leagues or where else? Sure. I think often that kind of stuff does. I mean, they want to sell tickets just like anybody else does. Um, you know, and I think, I think he really impressed last year. And I, I mean, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to rush a guy if he's not ready for it, but he's, he's seemed to indicate that, you know, the way he's played, Last year and the way he played this the spring so far, he's he's seemed to indicate that he's ready. Plus, he's a good defender, so I don't think you're you know you're not really going to be exposed if he if he even if he struggles a little bit. I think he's going to get solid value because he's got good speed and, and and a good defender in center field. And with uh, with Pompey and again with Bryant, as you mentioned before, there's something about the way they they approach the game that they're not overawed by it yeah i don't i don't mean to say that they're disrespectful or you know tossing their bats around or anything like that but they seem confident to use a, a, a an intangible sort of term but they don't seem scared by that and that seems to be a good sign 
Yeah, no, and I think the same thing as Peterson. I definitely think it's a good sign. Uh, you know, and the other thing I think that, that's been interesting about those guys is they seem to be, they understand the, the game and what you need to do in order to be successful. Whereas somebody like Javier Baez of the Cubs, it, his, he's just not shown any ability to sort of moderate his approach at the plate. And, you know, even once pitchers have now have indicated that they've figured out a way to get him out, he hasn't really been willing to make the adjustments. Whereas, you know, Peterson and Brian and Pompey really seem like they understand that that is a key part of the game. That stems in part from the way they grew up playing the game, I expect. Uh, you know, the way, mm-hmm. especially in, in Latin America, the way to catch people's attention is to hit a lot of balls hard and, and far yeah. because the raw power is something that I think every major league organization thinks that's what we want to find and we can teach them the, the other part. Right. Because you, you can't teach, you know, you can't really teach bat speed too much. You can't really... Uh, right. teach the hand-eye coordination that allows a guy to really smoke a ball and and they know that i mean when they're growing up in the game yeah. then the question is you you mentioned the word adjustments and uh, lots of people who've watched major league baseball over the years say it's it's a game of constant adjustments you're trying to match them yeah. and they're trying to match you and so uh are there other players that you've seen this spring that seem to have that knack yeah i'm certainly a couple of pitchers that I, you know that like andrew heaney i think is, is going to be an interesting guy that you know got traded a couple times this offseason but it seems like he's got a good uh, good shot at winning the fifth starter spot for the angels he's having a good spring and i really like his long-term potential especially you know being a left-handed pitcher there um another guy who's going to be kind of interesting to watch and i think i think isn't maybe quite there yet is michael taylor um from the Nationals, who's going to fill in for Denard Span while he's on the on the DL? He really has, um, you know, kind of the same power speed package that Jock Peterson does. But I think he he hasn't figured that out. I mean, he's, there's still a lot of swing and miss in his game. Um, he's one of those really athletic guys. You look on the field and like that guy looks like a ball player, you know, and he can do a lot of stuff on the field. But um, I still think he's and he's going to get a chance. I just. I, I wouldn't be overly aggressive bidding on somebody like uh, like Taylor just because I think he, he he's likely to, at least for the batting average, he's likely to disappoint out of the gate. Are there any uh, other players that you've seen that we thought maybe going in would have a shot at a major league job and have used spring training to play themselves out of it? Yeah, and I think probably the, the biggest example of that is Yasmani Thomas from the, from the um, Diamondbacks. I mean, He's just looked horrible at third base. I mean, he, he's, he's looked less athletic than he was advertised, um, really looks confused at the plate. Um, you know, some of that has got to be nerves and the fact that he's, he hasn't played in a while and making the adjustment. I think it's a lot harder than people realize. But he, he looks like he's playing his way out of – certainly out of the third base job. I mean, Jake Lamb's had a pretty good spring. He was once a you know fairly high, highly touted uh, prospect with you know pretty decent power and, and certainly a much better defender than Thomas is, but you know I could see Thomas not even making the the Diamondbacks as bad as the Diamondbacks are going to be this year, not even making in their opening day roster, maybe having going you know to go down to the minors and and get a couple months in just to sort of get his head on right and start to make some adjustments. Um, same with Jung Ho Kang, the you know the guy the the Korean shortstop prospect that that the Pirates signed. Um, it certainly doesn't look like he's going to beat out Jordy Mercer at this point. Um, he, you know, he's really struggled this spring. I mean, you got to remember this guy did hit 40 home runs last year in Korea, although that's a notoriously hitter-friendly, uh, you know, league. But still, it's he, he does have really good power. I just don't think he's ready yet. Um, you know, and obviously pitchers, you, you got a couple pitchers, um, Miguel Alfredo Gonzalez for the Phillies, Looks like he might be losing the fifth starter spot uh, to Kevin Slowly. And then Marco Gonzalez would be interesting because, 
the Cardinals really have, you know, three viable options. He's actually pitched pretty decently this spring, but I think he's probably going to lose out to Carlos Martinez or, or Jaime Garcia just because they seem like they, they're more advanced than he is. Well, let's hope it's Carlos Martinez, whom I drafted uh, Saturday in Tout Wars, uh, on the hope that uh, I thought he was the, the likeliest candidate, but uh, I guess... I, yeah, me too. I drafted him too. Patrick. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> that, that that reassures me. I, I'm I'm hopeful. I also took in the reserve round, I also took Kung, the shortstop in Pittsburgh, uh, basically because of the, the promise of power, but uh, it was kind of a speculative yeah. pick. Yeah, and I think that's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, just as long as you don't spend a lot of money doing that, I think actually once a guy... You know, especially if he gets sent down, or if it looks like he might get sent down. I mean, Yasmani Thomas's value has to be plummeting at this point. Um, you know, but if you can if you can take a flyer on a guy like that and get him real cheap, or be able to stash him away somehow, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think the the Diamondbacks are totally wrong. I certainly think there's power there. There's good raw power there, and they're definitely going to need that in their lineup at some point. Um, so I think sometimes taking a flyer on guys like that is actually a smart play as long as you're not. Like is that breaking breaking the bank to do so? I'm wondering, Rob, is there any um, feeling among the scouting fraternity about the coachability of players from different parts of the world? Like they come in here from uh, into camp from literally all over the world. Now you're seeing guys from Africa and Europe, right. and uh, you know there's a guy every year from Holland, it seems. And and is there any sort of uh, a feeling among scouts about the coachability of guys from one culture versus another? No, you know, not not that I think is is that I've seen that's consistent. Anyways, I mean, certainly, you know, anecdotally, anyways, I think you know some of the Cuban players get you know get a rap for being um, maybe a little bit more headstrong than than some of the other players are. But you know, I think it really comes down to an individual player. So somebody like you know Yasiel Puig is is going to have you know a different a different approach. You know, Jose Abreu didn't seem to have any sort of the same adjustment difficulties that the Puig has had. So I, I haven't really heard anything or seen anything that would consistently indicate that, you know, a, a certain group of players from a certain region are going to be easier or more difficult to in terms of making the adjustment. I do, I do think, having said that, I do think that certainly some of the, the players from Latin America, as you said before, are, are trying to get noticed in a way that, that say, you know, maybe players who go to high school here or go to college, the U.S. system, don't, you know, and so – you know, especially at a younger age when there's so much more on the line there. Um, and sometimes those those bad habits can get really ingrained and be difficult to to sort of make adjustments to counteract. But that's about the only thing I would say I've seen consistently. The reason I ask is because when I was thinking about Kung versus some of the other possibilities that I might have taken in the reserve round as far as prospects are concerned, and normally I don't uh, even consider it, but I thought, hey, a 40 home runs shortstop, you know, even if he hits 25, yeah. it's not a bad thing to have if he comes up in, you know, May or something like that. Uh, and right. And I wondered if... They've noticed that players from Japan, particularly, but we see we've seen players from Taiwan, uh, increasingly a number of players from Korea, and I'm wondering because they have uh, their baseball systems in uh, in East Asia are more seem to be anyway more regimented, more coach oriented, and more team oriented. Mm -hmm. Whether that's an advantage for players like that, so you get a guy like Kung and he's not, and he's struggling and and. Is he likelier to go down to to Double A wherever they send him and and take advantage of the coaching versus a guy who's as you said uh, maybe from Latin America somewhere who's just got this swing hard at everything kind of thing ingrained? Yeah, I, you know I think there's probably some logic to that, some truth to that. You know, 
but you also have to remember that most of the most of the Korean players and most of the Asian players that come over are a lot older too, and so they've had to make some of those adjustments as they've gone through the through the systems of the countries that they're in. Um, and so, you know, you get like Baez is what, 20, 21, something like that. And he's already, you know, competing for a major league job. So I think if there was, a, I think that's part of it, but I think it's also just sort of the, the relative youth uh, of some of the players from, from Latin America that they make those adjustments. I think if they've had more time to, to do that or more time to come up through the, the minor league system, but Baez has been moved up pretty quickly. And so. Sometimes that, or, you know, somebody like Puig or, or, um, Abreu or somebody like that, they're just, they're thrown right in, you know? I do. And uh, the, the Cubans for the last couple of years have been coming over in greater numbers. And it seemed like a lot of them, when they came over, we were getting the cream of the crop right away. Abreu could obviously play. Puig could obviously play. Are we now getting down into a lower tier of Cuban players where, where they're coming over here more on a hope and a prayer than a real solid chance at getting to the major leagues? And are, is American baseball, big league baseball, draining Cuban baseball of its best young talent? And is that going to have long-term ramifications? Sure, absolutely. I think that that's happening. I mean, I th- you know, I think we're seeing that now with, you know, some of the Cuban players that are signing are signing for, you know, four or five million, eight million dollars or something like that, which is still a lot of money, but not, you know, not compared to what they've been given before. Um, you know, so I, I do think that the Cuban system is definitely being depleted of any major league ready talent at this point. And I think that's going to continue to have long term impact on the, on the Cuban system. You know, I, I wonder if the, you know, sort of uh, easing of relations between the U.S. and Cuba might, might change that dynamic though. Um, you know, I could see maybe five, 10 years down the road where, you know, kind of like the Latin American baseball academies that the MLB has some sort of, affiliation with uh, younger Cuban players that the sort of reestablish some stability there. But I think, you know, after, after somebody like, um, you know, Moncada that's come over or, or Soler, some of those players really hit the majors. I think that that might be the sort of last big wave of, uh, of players that, that come over for a few years anyways. Are there any other new areas opening up in the world? You know, not that I've, not that I know of. <laughs> I mean, certainly I think, you know, there's speculation that, you know, in China, some of the Chinese players might, uh, might have an impact at some point. But I think that, you know, the systems or, or India or something like that, but the, you know, the, the sort of state of baseball in those countries is, I think, still well behind, um, what you're going to say. I still think Latin America is going to be sort of the, the biggest feeder of, um, of young talent outside of the, outside of the U.S. And uh, John Hamm movies notwithstanding, uh, any kid in India who can throw with uh, pace or who can swing a bat is much more likely to get into cricket because it's huge over there and they can make all kinds of dough playing that without having to come over and you know be fish out of water in America. And, t- and it's a long shot because the two games are dissimilar enough that there's really not that much that, that those Indian kids can do. I remember a few years ago uh, that there was a, a lot of people looking at Australia and saying that this might be the next you know mother load of talent and it didn't seem to become that, especially among batters. Yeah, no, I did, it just not really has, hasn't panned out, you know. Um, uh, certainly, I think, there, you know, there are more Canadian players that, that have broken through the system than, than in Australia. And so, I, I don't know, I just, um, I just think, you, you know, you can't, with the absence of, of really, if it's not sort of a national pastime, <laughs> um, the way it is in, in, in some countries in, you know, in the Americas, I think, 
you, it's just hard to sort of have, find those players that are really going to stand out that way. Not that you couldn't, you know, obviously some, there are athletic people that have, you know, picked up the game in, in the States that haven't played much until they got to high school or even to college. So it's possible that you're going to, you're going to run into players like that. But typically those, those athletes are going to go into other sports and in, in other countries, whether it's soccer or basketball or, or swimming or something, you know, where, whatever the country that they're from is where that sport is dominant, they're still going to gravitate to, towards those sports, I think. You raise an interesting point when you say that, because in the United States, it, it seems like a bit of a watchword, but that most of the uh, kids who, who think they have athletic skills, a lot of them gravitate towards football. And of course, now we're yeah. seeing because of the concussion issue and the injuries issue in general, that a lot of parents are saying, we don't want our kid playing football anymore. And I'm wondering, do they, has there been any signs that kids are, are exiting football and moving towards the baseball field as the next best thing and the big American sport? I, you know, I haven't seen that. I coach my son's travel baseball team and I have not seen that. It still seems as though the, the baseball dynamic is in this, in the U S anyways, hasn't really changed dramatically. I think that might be coming, but I don't, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the kids that are, that I see that are super athletic are still multi-sports, uh, athletes at this point playing basketball and football is still, I think at the high school level, still, um, much more, competitive and dominant than than high school baseball is in the states i have no proof of this rob but i'll say this i think it's going to change and i think it's going to change sooner than we think this guy uh, i forget his name the san francisco linebacker who retired at age 24 rather than face concussions and that kind of thing i think he's going to be the first of a of a big wave of that and when that starts happening then a lot of parents and a lot of kids are going to say, you know, if this guy's willing to walk away from $20 million in his football career because he doesn't want to have his eggs scrambled or, or not be able to walk when he's 35, maybe I'll pick up a bat and see if I can get going that way. Uh, BaseballHQ.com is keeping busy all during spring training, getting you ready for your draft with features like Jeremy Deloney continuing his BaseballHQ.com assessment of top prospects by position, looking this week at relief pitching prospects. The starting pitching buyer's guide columnist Stephen Nickrand looks at wrapping up spring training in American League rotations. Dr. HQ Rick Wilton has health reports for middle infielders. And all the playing time today and tomorrow features facts and flukes to get you ready for your draft. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon, uh, BaseballHQ.com's uh, minor league analyst. And uh, Rob, Baseball HQ has a very, very aggressive and large scouting profile can you just give us the the lowdown of what the site will be offering for minor league coverage this year yeah so certainly you know we started off the um the spring doing our traditional organizational reports where we did in-depth reports on all you know the top 15 prospects of every organization um so we just got finished with that recently and then now we're moving on to the top prospects by position so we just finished our last we did the relief pitchers this week so the top relief pitching prospects that are likely to have an impact in 2015 um, and now we move into kind of preseason mode where we're going to be looking at um, doing a couple columns on some uh, breakout prospects to look at for 2015, rookie of the year candidates for 2015. Uh, and obviously, once the season starts, then Jeremy Deloney will, will come out with his uh, daily call-up reports, which are really, really valuable things because, um, you know, especially in deeper leagues, trying to figure out how to spend your fab dollars and and when to jump in on a player and when not to is uh, is really you know people put a lot of emphasis and um, pay a lot of attention to to drafting season, but really I, I'm convinced that you don't very unfree, very unlikely to win the draft 
at or win your league at the draft. And it's more of how you'd make in-season adjustments and pick up players that are really going to, you know, like a Jake DeGrom. I don't think he was, <laughs> don't think he was a first round draft pick last year. So picking up players like that and trying to figure out, um, you know, where they fit in. So those call-up reports are really, really useful. And then once the season's kind of underway, we'll start moving into um, the 2015 amateur draft uh, preparation, getting ready for that. The draft's in June. So in May, we'll start coming up with, uh, you know, some of the top prospects for the for the 2015 draft. And then our, we have our draft coverage, which is pretty in-depth. You also have uh, the minor league watch list. Is that back again this year? Yeah, yeah, we have that. And we usually have weekly columns talking about, you know, prospects that are having breakouts in 2015 and whether those breakouts are legitimate and how, you know, when they might reach the majors. And so that that's the call up or the watch list that um, we kind of feature some of those players. in. before we let you go on this topic, you mentioned that you guys did the organization reports. Who are the two or three best and worst organizations as far as maybe not having prospects, but being able to develop them? Um, well, I guess we'll have to see, you know, sort of historically, the Atlanta Braves had always been fairly good at that, but they're, you know, and they really retooled their farm system this year. I think when we first did the the organizational reports, we had them at least in the middle of the pack, maybe even lower than that, but they, they really revamped their farm system pretty quickly. Um, Boston also, you know, has done a really good job of both figuring out how to work in major league talent and then also which players to trade in order to, to sort of retool when they need to. Um, the Cubs system, historically hasn't been very good but it's it's uh, i'd say the top system right now um but you know i think we'll have to wait and see if they're able to turn these i mean right now it looks really good but we'll have to see whether they're able to make that transition from tremendous you know potential talent to actually really good major league talent um you know the tigers uh the tigers farm system is just atrocious and it (laughs) it has been for a while um you know, it's just really frustrating to watch teams that, you know, like the Phillies, the Phillies farm system, their major league system's not, you know, not good and the, their farm system's really bad and they just haven't, haven't made really good decisions. Um, the Rockies farm system, you know, they have some, some decent talent there, but every year it seems like they draft a pitcher in the first round and I can't remember the last one of them to really work out very well. So I'm, it makes me nervous about John Gray and Eddie Butler where they've drafted the last couple of years, but, um, uh, time will tell, but but those systems kind of seem to me, anyways, to be sort of a, historically at the at, towards the bottom. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com, and Rob. When we watched the minor leagues during the year, the uh, opening days a couple of weeks away, not even, and, and then the minor leagues will kick off as well, and we're all going to be keeping our eye in most of our leagues uh, to look and try to maybe get a jump on the rest of the crowd as far as guys uh, down in the minors who might be potential impact call-ups. And I know BaseballHQ.com covers a lot of that stuff to keep your eye on this guy because he's coming. But what what can we do as individual observers to watch for in the minor leagues to identify guys who might have that potential call-up impact? Well, I think certainly, you know, if, if we're especially if we're talking about the lower minors, so like somebody like Dalton Pop- Pompey is a great example of, of that. I think looking for a guy who's jumping from from level to level pretty quickly. And so, if you normally the tradi- you know, traditional trajectory for for prospects moving up is going to be at least a half year they'd really have to dominate at least for a half year at that level before they move up. Um, if they're moving up any quicker than that, that's certainly a sign of something to, to you know, something good to come and something to, to kind of keep, keep an eye on. Um, I think the other thing that really is key is trying to figure out where the opportunities are going to be in the big leagues. And so really watching for injuries, um, 
you know, watching the daily transactions and, and daily news reports about injuries that are happening. So if, you know, if uh, the Dodgers Ryu is out for a while, does that mean that Julio Urias gets a chance at some point? Uh, probably not right away, but, but you know, that might happen later in the season. And so really keeping an eye on that, that. The watch list is great for that because that's kind of what we're doing with that is saying these guys look like they're ready, they're really moving up, and there might be an opportunity here. Um, you know, and, and so you could look at somebody like Addison Russell of the Cubs and say, you know, maybe he gets off to a really great start, but I just don't see where he fits in. Or even like Noah Syndergaard of the Mets. I mean, he might get off to a really good start down at, uh, at AAA, but if they don't have an opening for him, then it's going to be frustrating both to him and to his owners. And so I think really looking at that combination of somebody who's moving up, making an impact quickly, but also then looking to see, is there an opportunity for this player to get significant playing time? I think that's a really sound way of approaching it. I'll I'll add this one point. When you're dealing with pitchers, I think maybe you, you should notch them up a few degrees because it's easier to replace a pitcher than it is to replace a hitter because they get hurt so much. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think somebody like Aaron Nola from, from the Phillies is a great player to maybe stash away because their, I mean, their rotation is horrible as it is, but they also have all these injury concerns. Um, and so he's probably not going to get a chance right away. But I think certainly, you know, he's, he's a, I mean, he's always been a good prospect. Even when he was in college, he's, he throws, you know, good, you know, not super hard, but he's got good stuff and he knows how to pitch and stashing somebody like that away because certainly the number of pitchers that are going to come up in the first two months of the season is going to be and, and have a potential to have a significant role is going to be much higher than the number of you know position players that are going to come up and play every day and of course uh, in the Phillies case Cole Hamels could get traded there's lots of organizations in right. that position too where they may create uh, not just p- uh, pitching openings but hitting openings because they're they're not good teams and they're going to have to make some deals and try to swap out uh, guys for prospects down the road which could open up some possibilities now the question is do you want a guy who's going to join the Phillies rotation to be on your team because of all the <laughs> other bad things that go along with pitching for the Phillies right and, and a rookie to boot so I mean, it's really, it's really tricky. I think, I think I've seen teams really get burned by that. And I think you really have to be cautious about trying to figure out where these guys fit in and whether they fit into your long-term plan, or at least for the, for the year. Um, because I don't know how many of these guys we've seen up. Travis Darno is a perfect example for the Mets. I mean, you know, if you drafted him a couple of years ago thinking he was going to be the next stud catcher, you know, you'd be sorely disappointed, you know, a year and a half later. And he certainly showed some signs last year after he went down to the minors and then came back up. But, you know, do you really want to have to wait that long for the guy to, to be not only productive, but not to be killing your team? So I think you really have to be cautious about um, about how you work these guys in. Yeah, it's an excellent point. It, it, it's, it's fun to think, if only I get, you know, Aaron Nola partway through the year, then my problems will be solved. And you could be sadly disappointed because <laughs> you could be going uh, from the frying pan into the fire trouble-wise because, exactly. as you said, I mean, he's, he's a rookie. <laughs> it's, it's a tough transition to make even if you're playing for the best team in the league, much less if you're playing for one of the worst. Right. Uh, uh, what prospects do you see actually having significant value this season who might not start the year on the big league roster, but who are you personally watching in the minor leagues who you think might actually have that kind of impact? Well, I think I certainly think Carlos Rodon of the, uh, of the White Sox is, is definitely, I mean, he's, here's a college guy, high draft pick, very polished, very seasoned um, college pitcher. Uh, I, I think he's probably not going to get a chance right out of the gate, but certainly I think the White Sox are managing him well. I think probably 
by midseason, he'll be ready to go. I think they're going to, you know, probably hold him off until then just because there are concerns about arbitration. Um, another guy who's really interesting is Jamison Tyone of the, of the Pirates. You know, I think he might have fallen off some people's radar just because of the, the Tommy John surgery that he had. But he's back on the mound throwing. They're talking about having him back up by, by midseason. Um, and I, as you said, I think pitchers really have an easier – they'll get more chances, I think. They're going to get more chances than position players are at this point. So those are the two guys I, I would really kind of take a look at in addition to Aaron Nola if you're willing to kind of take on some of that risk. Is Tyone a Canadian guy? I th- seem to think that he is. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. taking over, Rob. It's slow, slowly but surely. First we get the MVPs in there, and then we go sure. from there. We'll get a Cy Young Award one of these years. Right. <laughs> I think there's been some American uh, MVPs in the NHL, so it's high time that we uh, started turning things around. Though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly favor, right. right. Uh, <laughs> before we go, Rob, uh, it's not to do with prospects, which is your area of specialty, but I know you're a baseball fan as well as a prospects fan and a fantasy player, as we talked about at the top of the show. And whenever I get an expert in uh, to talk about f- fantasy baseball, I always want to close with uh, sleepers and weepers, I call it. Sleepers are guys that we uh, think might be a little under the radar and and uh, players to target at the draft or auction. And weepers are guys that you would avoid, that uh, you think are going to disappoint this year, be overpaid at the draft, and so forth. And if uh, if that's all right with you, we'll start with the hitters and the uh, American League sleeper hitter. Who do you like in the American League? Um, well, it's, I, you know, sleepers are, are always... Uh always tricky because you know you throw out a sleeper and everyone's like well, how's that guy a sleeper because everybody knows about who he is so the guy that i picked out was nick castellanos um i, I just think he has a natural feel for, for hitting a third baseman for the tigers he's a natural feel for hit for hitting you know i think he's because of his size and and raw power i don't think he's hit his ceiling in terms of home runs so i could see him hitting you know 280 with 20 plus home runs this year and i think i think that would take some people by surprise just because his rookie season was a solid one but not anything spectacular. But I think there's I think there's more in the tank there. How about over in the National League, a hitter who could be a sleeper for you? Uh, I really like Matt Adams. Um, I, I think he in the minors. You got to remember, a couple years ago, he hit 300 with 32 home runs at, at, um, at Double A, and then at Triple A, he hit 329 with 18 home runs and just 258 at bats. So I think there's really more power in his bat than he's shown so far. He just needs to figure out how to hit left-handed pitchers, which is I know a, a big task. But if he can make an adjustment there, I think he's got the potential to hit 25, 30 home runs in the majors. So Rob Gordon, sleeper hitters, Nick Castellanos and Matt Adams. Uh, now we go to the weepers uh, in the American League. Who's a hitter you're going to avoid this uh, draft season? Uh, Torrey Hunter. I think, you know, at, the, at age 39, the odds of him putting together another 290 season with 17 to 20 home runs are not great. I just think that, you know, the, certainly he looked very, uh, very run down at the, end of, at the end of last season, last year for the Tigers. Um, I just don't see him being able to to sort of stay, you know, hold together for for another year at this age. And the the uh, twin situation is interesting because they have some pretty good young outfielders who could p- conceivably replace a guy, which is something you have to think about. I hope you're wrong. I took Tory Hunter very cheap at the end of uh, Tout Wars, and I'm counting on him to have like a maybe a 70 home run season. <laughs> right. It would be very helpful. I like Tory Hunter. I just think the end is near. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. But he keeps himself in good shape by all accounts, so uh, that, that has to count for something. We have to grasp at straws where we can grasp them. How about a National right. League weeper hitter, a, a National League? hitter that you don't want any part of 
uh, Javier Baez, I think the, all the signs of an impending disaster are there. Abysmal contact rate, um, you know, both in his debut in the majors last year, I think something like a 55% contact rate. And I think in the minors, it was like 63%. So there's just way too much instability there. I know he's got tremendous power. Um, but you know, if somebody, if somebody already rostered him, I think, you know, I had actually had him as a keeper coming into this year and I drafted Howie Kendrick just cause I, I'm not convinced he's going to get more than 150 really bad at bats before the Cubs decide he needs more seasoning. So, uh, Torrey Hunter and Javier Baez, Rob Gordon's uh, weeper hitters. Let's turn it around and go to the mound, Rob. Uh, we'll go back to the sleepers in the American league. Who's a pitcher you think is a little under the radar? Uh, as I said before, Carlos Rodon, I think I really like him. I really think he's going to get a chance. I think the White Sox are going to be smart about how they use him, so probably it's not going to be until June he comes up. But I think he's got so much polish and, and so much uh, poise on the mound that I think he's going to – you know, I think the White Sox are going to be an improved team this year, so I think he, I think he's got a chance to be a sleeper there. How about a pitcher in the National League who could be a sleeper, a guy you'd like to have on your team at the end of the, your draft? Jimmy Nelson. I really like him of the Brewers. Um, I think a lot of teams are going to be scared – or a lot of owners are going to be scared away by his 5-plus um, ERA from last year in his debut, but I think he's really got good potential. Again, another guy who's got real good stuff. He's not going to blow people away the way that Rodon may be able to, but he's got good stuff. Um, I think his, you know, his, his minor league numbers, certainly his strikeout to walk ratios were, were pretty good all the way through the minors. And I think he's going to, he's going to have a, a chance of winning the spot in the, in the Brewers rotation. I think he might be a nice sleeper. And uh, we've got Rodon and Nelson for Rob Gordon's sleeper pitchers in the American and National League, respectively. How about the Weepers? Uh, who's a pitcher in the American League, Rob, that you want no part of? Uh, Alfredo Simon of the Tigers. I think it was a fluke. I'm not convinced. Um, certainly, I don't think he's going to be able to replace um, Max Scherzer in the Tigers rotation. Really? Or even Rick Porcello. So I think I think that's a really risky uh, pick there. I think, um, you know, if you're looking for him as just sort of a fifth starter on your team, I think, I think maybe that's serviceable just because the Tigers are going to get some wins and everything. But I think if you're if you're counting him on him for anything more than that or a four and a half ERA, I think you're going to be sadly disappointed. So can I put a headline on this? Uh, Rob Gordon says uh, Alfredo Simon not as good as Max Scherzer. Yeah, you can. I'll <laughs> take a lot. Take my whole reputation on that. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. And finally, uh, in the National League, uh, a, a weeper pitcher, a guy in the National League you don't want any part of. Uh, Lance Lynn. Not that, not that I don't like Lance Lynn. I just don't think he was as good as what he showed last year. I think there's a, there's definitely going to be some regression there. I think he was, you know, just that that sort of came out of the blue, and and I just don't see him as being that kind of pitcher this year. All right, Rob, this was great. Uh, thanks very much for doing it. Uh, I will, of course, catch up with you during the year. We're not going to do the minor league minute this week because, uh, you know, as fun as you are, 35 minutes of it is is plenty for most people, I'm sure. <laughs> so so uh, we'll, we'll have you on the minor league minute during the year, of course, every week. And then as well, I hope we get you back at least a couple of times to make sure we stay on top of what's going on with the prospects. Yes, absolutely. It's been great being on the show, Patrick. Rob Gordon is a minor league analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he's our minor league minute commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 24th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 11 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our special guest for this edition of the show, BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Rob Gordon does a terrific job at the site here at Baseball HQ Radio with the Minor League Minute. And if I do say so myself, he hit it out of the park with the special interview today. I'm Patrick Davitt. 
I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And more importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again on Friday with our News and Notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.